welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. So I want you to turn with me in the book of John, chapter 4. The book of John, chapter 4, the fourth chapter. This is... This is a, I love this scripture. We hit on it maybe, maybe once a year or so. And we began to talk about this moment where Jesus goes into Samaria. Do you remember when Jesus said, I need to go into Samaria? You remember, you remember that? It was a need. I had to, is what he said. He goes in and he ministers to a woman. We call her the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And then, while he's doing that, the disciples went into town to get some food. They were hungry. And they, I guess, assumed that Jesus was hungry as well. And I'm sure he was in his body because he hadn't eaten. They hadn't eaten. They'd been traveling. And he sent him in, therefore, to Simon. And then they get back and listen to what he says. John chapter 4, verses 31 through 38. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, which means teacher, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples began to say one to another, has anyone brought him something to eat? (laughs) We went, and I think they said that with an attitude, because they just went in town, they just brought something to eat. Have you ever had your kids tell you that they were hungry and then you made supper and then they tell you, I'm not hungry anymore? You know the frustration you feel as a mom. I know moms are in here that have experienced this. I see heads going like this all over the place. And they'll tell you something like, I just I ate at Johnny's house. Or I just had, I, I found the, the candy bars in the, in the pantry. I'm not hungry anymore. Well, I think the disciples were a little concerned because they, they went into town, they bought food, they came back, and someone said, has anyone brought him food? Who fed him? And Jesus said to them, my food, everyone say my food, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So he's talking to them in in the sense of spirituality, in the sense of being satisfied by something else. And it's amazing because he was hungry before. Now he's not hungry anymore. I knew he was hungry because he sent him for food. They get back. He already ate. And then he says, look, listen, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, we know that the harvest is sold, right? Everyone knows that terminology, that, that, that symbolism. When he talks about souls, he said, the fields are white. That means that they are ready for harvesting. He said, look out there. Look out into your world. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of people, in other words, that need you and need your help. That's what he's saying. There's a lot of people out there that need your help. Already, the one 
who reaps, verse 36, the one who reaps in receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice. He said the sower and the reaper are going to re rejoice together because you don't see it, but there are people out there working those fields of labor. They're helping people. They're ministering to people. They're praying for people. They're sharing with people. And, and, and you don't know who you've been assigned to. And he, so he goes on further and he says, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here, the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps, and, and I send you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So I'm almost thinking in this one moment as well that Jesus walked into a field that had already been plowed. I think so. Because when he talked to the woman, he called her out at one point. And he said, call your husband. He said, uh, I don't you know, have a husband. He said, you're right. But you had this many already, and you've gone through this in your life. I think it was a little bit deeper. And really, he pointed out the fact that her ground had been broken up already. And he was there to sow a seed. And he was there to plant something into her life. Now, he was fixing to leave Samaria, but there was going to be another day that someone else would come back and reap that harvest. He understood how the kingdom worked, that if he just did his part, that the Father would do his part and assign somebody else. I want you to know that we are laborers together with God, and God has given every single person a ministry a ministry of helping people, a ministry of reaching out to people, a ministry of helping those that are in need. Life is more than food. The body's more than raiment. God has an assignment for you, and we're going to learn how to fulfill that, and we're going to learn the benefits of helping others. You are meant to minister. And I didn't say step on your soapbox it's an old term make your own platform grab your bible and push god's word down everyone's throat i am talking about loving people reaching out to people befriending people giving an encouraging word to people and loving people the way god called us to love them and that's what makes the difference in this world people won't remember every act that you've done. They won't remember every word that you've said, but they'll remember the impact you made in their life. And I don't know about you, but I want to make an impact for Jesus Christ. I do. How many of you want to see your world changed? And how many of you want to make a difference and find out what really life was a, is about? So let's pray this prayer. Let's pray. God, uh, just set the atmosphere for this moment to do your will. Will you pray over the service right now? Come on, speak over it. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this word. I know we prayed for the service once already, but let's pray again specifically for the word. God, we pray for the word to be released. We pray for an unction to come. We thank you, dear God, for always visiting us, meeting us where the purpose of your kingdom is, where, where you're doing the work today. 
in this house, in this place, you know every heart, minister to them, minister to them specifically. We pray today that you would just bless in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. Now give him a shout of praise. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If I, if I could right now, I ask you to do some jumping jacks to wake you up. But I want you to turn to somebody. I want you to look at them in the face before you sit down and say, hey, wake up. You're in God's house. If you're asleep, you're going to miss it. If you're asleep, you're going to miss it. Sit down. Have a seat. Thank you so much. Oh, man, all the food, all the preparation, all the anticipation of this one moment. You slave, you labor, you work hard, men, you're going to deep fry some turkey possibly, the Seminella thing or whatever's going on out there, Ebola, whatever it is, Equali. I got a solution for it. Go buy some turkey jerky. You'll be all right. <laughs> you know, your concerns out there about the food and whatever you're going to do this year, you're going to prep for it. It's like an Olympic game, right? You do all this labor and all this preparation, and it's over within 30 minutes. Over. Just to hear somebody say, that was so good, honey. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was so good. It's over with. Then we find ourselves going back again, back again. Work, we take our famous turkey sandwiches. We get ready. What I'm saying to you is, is that we have desires. We have appetites. As human beings, we're going to always have these appetites in our life, and they're God-given. We can have an appetite for good things. We can have an appetite just to see our family succeed and do well, be happy. There, there is something that's going to drive you. There is something inside of you that will cause you to wake up, to have energy, to move. So it's the season, the time of the year where everyone's mind is on celebrating. Everyone's mind is on family. It's on food. Now, hang with me. I'm going to talk about food, but I'm going to use it to make a point. And I'm not saying that there's people that are addicted to it, but I am going to say that the potential and how this brain works, how we can tie into and understand how addictions happen sometimes, which will lead to the point I'm going to try to make to you. In doing research, I've realized that that the fact is, is that we all know this, junk food is very stimulating. I mean, listen, some people may not have a sweet tooth. Some people may not have that, that urge for sweets, but you, your urge for something to satisfy you most of the time isn't healthy. I mean, there's just that one factor there that we can't understand most of the time. What causes this? What why am I having such a hard time? Why am I keep going back to it? And so forth. And, and so here's what happens. The, the food stimulates this, what we call a reward system in our brain. 
in the same way that abusive drugs like cocaine, drugs that would stimulate you, food has the ability to do the same thing. There's a system in your brain called the reward system. This system was designed to reward you when doing things that encourage you for survival, doing things that arouse your appetite, that cause you to want to go back for more. This, this includes the primal behaviors like, you know, just like, like eating, just surviving. But the brain knows that when you eat, you're doing something right and it releases a bunch of feel-good chemicals for its reward. These chemicals include, uh, include the neurotransmitter dopamine. It's something that your body generates on its own. It's the way God designed us. And, and when you have that chemical that's released, your brain interprets it as pleasure. Pleasure. And the brain is hardwired to seek out behavior that releases the dopamine to your, in, in the reward system that you have. So it's not necessarily that we get addicted just to food. And I know there's more science behind it, but we are addicted to the pleasure and the feeling that we receive from our bodies from something called dopamine. Now, you go look it up and you go study on your free time. If you have no interest in it, just trust me. If you don't trust me, go look it up. But the bottom line is, is that we do all have, we all have addictive personalities by eating, by doing things that gives you a, feel, a sense of reward. The brain is wired that way. The brain is programmed. So when you do something or when you enjoy something or experience something, that chemical begins to release it. Now, what's, what's, what's really funny is that the body, the body really doesn't know the difference sometimes because the brain releases a chemical to make you feel good, and that can be ignited or just activated by food. But then, but then you look at the life of Jesus, it was actually activated by ministry. It was something even the, the brain couldn't recognize, but it brought pleasure. And so much that when he ministered to somebody, his, hung, his hunger pains went. And then he, we wondered, well, you know, they wondered how in the world is he not hungry if who fed him? And then he said, I have food to eat that you don't know. He, he related God's reaching out, God's ministry, God's purpose. He related helping someone he made it equivalent to food. Isn't that amazing? It's something to think about. He relates it to food, and he goes, I have food to eat you know not of. In other words, my body, my, my, my brain, my spirit has just eaten something that you don't know nothing about, but I'm trying to share it with you. And he was satisfied. Now, I'm sure he's going to get hungry again, but there was a reward system even in his body that caused his brain to trick his brain and say he's eaten already and he was full. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. I don't know if anyone here has ever uh, been on a fast. How many of you have ever gone through the, 
the stages of fasting and prayer, and you understand. And I'm not trying to get so deep and sound super spiritual, but, but you have to know that there is something that is released during that time when you starve yourself out by fasting, by trying to decrease. I know this is a crazy message to preach around Thanksgiving, right? But I'm not calling you to fast. Please don't start feeling condemned because, oh, my God, I can't believe Pastor Bob is asking us to fast. I'm not asking you to fast. I want you to know I'm using it for as an example. Have you ever, but you, have you ever noticed in that season that when you do start praying or you start reading your word, how that just satisfies you? And have you ever noticed when you've helped somebody or ministered to someone that the anointing that you feel has completely just caused you to forget about all the hunger pain? And that's because the spirit man was just fed. The spirit man was just fed. And the brain can't tell the difference between when you eat and the spirit man eats. It just knows that it's being rewarded. It's rewarding you. And you enjoy the feeling you can become addicted to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. You can, you should become addicted to Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that you have to fast all the time. But you have to know what the writer meant when he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. God is good. Can anybody testify to that this Sunday morning? I mean, can you honestly testify and say that I have tasted of God's goodness? I have received his blessings. I have felt his love. I have rejoiced in his joy. I have entertained myself in just his presence. There's so much in there. I'm telling you that, that the sweet, the bitter taste of, of warfare, of battle, is always overcome by the sweetness of his victory and blessings in our life. We may not think it, but you enjoy the sweetness of God's goodness in your life because you've had something bitter. You know, I'm not a good cook, but when I look at chefs and I listen to them about how they, they come up with these fantastic four- or five-star meals, they always say it's a combination of bitter and sweet combination of sweet or salty or acidic alkaline it's the variety of life that makes everything sweet you couldn't understand the love of God had you felt hatred or unforgiveness in your life or failure but when you've experienced something bitter in your life and you have something better it's just the sweetness about it, it makes it even more better in your life and more of an experience that helps you appreciate God's love and God coming through for you. Uh, I mean, it's just a sweet thing. Uh, I think most of the time when we read the scripture and we see people going through problems and issues in their life, I think that the, 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 the climax and the, 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 the hope that we receive as, as a believer is to know that God comes through for them every single time. It's, it's like watching a movie and you know that your hero's fixing to come in and save the day. It's like having that feeling of knowing that you may be in trouble, but there's going to be a miracle worker come in any moment. You anticipate it. 
this, this, this word, your Bible, is a story of Jesus Christ. It's a story of his triumphant victory. It's a story of what he has done for you and I. And it's all about him coming into a world that was dark and lost. And it's all about him and watching him and seeing him helping people. Helping people. He was faced with the Pharisees and the the Sadducees and all those in the religious world. and, And they tested him. And they wanted to know what is the greatest commandment of them all. And he told them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. But then he said, and the second one is likened unto it. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for a moment. How much do you love yourself? Selfishness, right? We're good at that. We're all good at that. I'm good at that. I know what makes me happy, right? I know what makes me happy. Anyone who knows me knows what makes me happy, and that's what they base their kindness on. I, I think that most of the time in life when we begin to, um, we look at, we look at other people and we try to make them happy, we try to do something for them that makes us happy and miss it. And miss it, right? I always want to know, what makes you happy? What do you enjoy? If someone asks me to go out to eat, I, most of the time I don't want to go where I want to go because they may not want to go there. They may not like it. They may have had a bad experience there. So most of the time I'm asking, where would you like to go? Because I'll eat anything if you don't eat me first, right? I mean, I'll, and I'll try anything one time. But it's not about us. That's my point. It's not about us. Jesus was addicted to doing God's will. His will was his food. And God's will was seeking and saving them that were lost. He he wanted us to have a life, a good life. And if anyone wants to take a life or take a joy, take your happiness, it's not God. God wants to give you happiness. God wants to give you joy. It's in the Bible. Let me give you the scripture, John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and 10. Listen to what the Bible says. The thief, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. An abundant life. That means that it overflows into every channel of your heart, of your family, in your life, in your career. Abundance. Abundance. Now, if God gave you abundance, that means that you have something in your life that you can share. Most of the time we don't share with people because we don't feel like we have enough. It's like the widow lady. When Elijah came to her, he said, make me a cake. And she said, well, I've only got enough for me and my son. And he persuaded her. And nevertheless, she did it. But she was blessed because of it. Sometimes in our nature, we don't give out because we feel like we don't have nothing to give. And I've found that to be true when it comes to life and people that feel like they go through trouble, feel overwhelmed, feel stressed out. 
And most of the time, we don't help people because our gauge, our gauges are on E, E, E. There you go. My right, your left. I grew up with my family driving the car always on E. I don't know about your family. When I married my wife, Dawn, when I married her, I'd fill up the car. I would only fill it up. I would only go to maybe a quarter of a tank. I was, uh, and, and she said to me, honey, what are you doing? I said, we ain't got that much money. I said, we're just going to fill it up to right here. She goes, well, why don't you just fill it up all the way, and then we would just budget that and take care and I was like looking at her like, oh, we're not rich. I'm sorry. I, I, I grew up in the struggle. I mean, my family did well at one time, but then my daddy passed away and everything. We lost it. And I was like growing up in a house where, you know, the first time my wife made me a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I told her, whoa, 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 way too much peanut butter in there. Gotta make that thing stretch out. I used to have them thin layers of peanut butter. I mean, I'm just telling you. My wife made me a tuna sandwich. I was like in heaven. I was like, wow. I married up. I'm just telling you. The poverty mentality that we have doesn't just refer isn't just referencing money. It references everything. If you don't feel loved, then you're not going to show anybody else love. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't feel like you have been blessed, then you're not going to be generous. If you don't feel peace, more than likely you're going to be the problem in a relationship. If you feel hurt, I've learned hurting people hurt people. Angry people become angry. And it really, it's a deficiency. It's a deficiency. It's a lot, it's a lot like most of you, I know some of you, you wouldn't go to work if you didn't have something to eat first. You would not work through lunch. I know. You wouldn't work through lunch. If someone asks you to work through lunch, you're going to look at them like they're crazy. You need food to get strength so your body can perform. What you're really looking at, you're looking at the reward system of you need those, the dopamine to make you feel good, to make you happy. Children have this at a young age, babies. They're happy when they know the, the bottle's coming, right? They know this, and they're happy afterwards, and they're smiling. I see babies happy sometimes, smiling. And I go, oh, they're so happy today. And they go, yeah, he just ate. <laughs> you have this nature since you were little. But then, you know, when you were born, you grew into this. But listen, there's another process that takes place when you're born again. And when you're born again, God gives you food that no one else knows about. 
that can satisfy you, that can help you, that can really nourish your spirit and your system. There, there's a joy. There is a joy in helping people, and it can become addictive as well. There is a joy that can come into your life that's outside of your own personal joy. Uh, when, when Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, it, it, it fed his soul like food. It made him happy. It made him content. Believe me, your brain knows when you're getting food. Your brain knows. Your body responds and acts accordingly, but it can't distinguish most of the time. This is my opinion. It cannot distinguish the difference between the two. But I do believe that it's, it's persuaded that what it feels from God is much better than what you put in it to your mouth with a fork. I do believe that the body, the brain, loves the anointing. I do believe that the brain, the body, have you ever felt God's presence? In other words, have you ever walked into a church service, lifted up your hands to worship, and surrendered to him? See, the lifting of the hands, of the hands is a sign of surrender to the Lord. And a lot of people do that. It really, you can do whatever you like to. You know, you have the, the newcomer. You have the people that are just getting used to worship. And then you have those that don't care. I need something from God. I surrender. I surrender. Now I'm just kidding. But the truth is, is that have you ever felt, have you ever felt after that moment of intimacy with him, of worship, how how your thinking changes, how your attitude is shifted, how you tap into that moment. And I'm talking about the moment when you come to worship. Don't look at anyone up here. They're not here for your entertainment. The words are just for new people on the screen. The reason we put words on the screen is for people who don't know them. But I encourage everyone, when you come into the house of God, Close your eyes, lift up your voice, sing along and join together and pray into it and worship him and get focused on him because it takes focus. It takes focus to really get a good meal from God. Oh, boy, that's so good. It takes focus. Listen, you wouldn't let anybody disturb your meal at the dinner table. You don't take phone calls. Put them on hold. Push the button. Right? How many of you, if you're eating a good meal, wouldn't answer the phone call from somebody you know is going to put some weight on you or ask you for a favor in that month? You don't, you don't want to admit it. Now you're thinking, oh, my God, Pastor Bobby, is that why you didn't answer my phone call the other day? If you keep calling me and asking for favors, I might. I mean, help me out every once in a while, too. Just being honest, right? I love getting a phone call from somebody, and they call me up just to say, hey, Pastor, praying for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's a good phone call. That's a good phone call right there. Hey, Pastor Bobby, just want to tell you, appreciate you. Hint, hint. Thanksgiving. Let me move on. Point number one. While you're feeding others, God feeds you. 
while you're feeding others, God feeds you. This will bring true contentment in your life. It's being fed by God. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Watch this, watch this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean, Pastor Bobby? Explain that to me. Well, what David is saying is that his desires for everything else, doesn't, he doesn't have them because all he wants is God because he realized that if he, all he had was God, then all his needs would be met, that God would take care of him. That God Now, that doesn't mean we don't need anybody else in our life, but what it does mean is that we're solely dependent and prioritizing him as being number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. He is the good shepherd. And so your spirit man will starve if you don't learn the secret of number one, ministering to God, and number two, ministering to others. Your spirit man is starving. Now, we have all accomplished the ability to minister to God. We've learned that if you minister to God well, you'll minister to people well. We all know how to pray to God and talk to God about our life. Our life. Because that's part of our nature. Right? We got that down. How many of God pray? How many of you uh, talk to God about your family every day? Uh, talk to God about your career. Talk to God about your job. Talk to God about everything. But then how many of us go beyond this point of our world and start to step into a world that has nothing to do with us except a burden and, and a desire from God to bless someone else, to help someone else, and spend time, quality time in prayer for other people, other people's businesses, other churches, I've had to ask myself that question. I prayed for this church all the time. Then God convicted me years ago and asked me, how often have you prayed for other pastors and other churches? And I realized that this is not a competition. It's a kingdom. I may be responsible for this flock, but there's somebody else that's doing the same work that needs somebody else to pray for them also. And, and it's no part is greater than the whole, right? No part is greater than the whole. So we're all in this together. And I realized that when I started doing that, and I started praying for others, and I started thinking about others, that there was something different. I felt something different come from God. And then there's blessings because I was taking care of God's business, and God started taking care of mine. Do you understand that? I went beyond my own business, took care of God's business, God's people's business. Other people started dealing and reaching out and doing things, and then God started opening up doors that I couldn't open up on my own. And I felt something so different from the anointing because like Jesus, my hunger pains went away. You can't tell, but my hunger pains went away. And I'm trying, but 
Knowledge is stored and your vessel is filled. But there's nothing like pouring into the lives of other people. Proverbs 11 and 25. Proverbs 11 and 25 says this. Listen, the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. You are made to be a blessing. I added that part in. And so did somebody else. The generous soul will be made rich. Someone say generosity. Generosity really was the doctrine of giving in the New Testament church. They were generous people. Uh, they gave it all. But these people also were also water themselves. They were also blessed. No one was without. And he who waters will also be watered himself. By who? Who do you think? The scripture says God gives seed to the sower. You want seeds in your life? If someone told me, I would love to give you an apple, I would say thank you. But if someone told me, I would love to give you seeds for apple trees, I would say praise God. may take longer. But you see, this generation misses out on the big blessings because they want something right now and they settle for fruit when God wants to give them an orchard. That's the difference. I would rather wait and pray and get on God's timing so God can bless me abundantly. If I have to go through a process, I'll go through a process. How many of you have ever been through a process? I'm talking about a process where you we talked about this last week. You receive a promise. The promise is in you. Now you have to go through the nine months of, pro of, of process to get to the place of giving birth of what God promised you. There is no one exempt from the process. Now you can skip the process. That's why your prophecy doesn't come to pass because you have aborted the promise through avoiding the process. I want to see the fulfillment of every promise of God in my life. But I need something to feed those things and grow these things in my life. I need to mature. I need to be spiritually fed. So I found that here's a secret. When I'm down, what's the best thing I can do? It really wasn't just praise God because it helps a lot tremendously, trusting in God. But here's, here's the difference, and this is what you and I have to catch. There is a different anointing help when it comes to intimate worship versus reaching out to someone else the anointing kicks in i feel a different spirit on me a different anointing when i'm up here reaching out to other people it's amazing for pastors it's amazing for teachers if you're a sunday school teacher you should feel the same thing if you are reaching out and helping someone you should feel the same thing when God asks you to do it, when God is in it. If God is in it and he's wanting to work through you, guess what he's going to give you in order to accomplish his will, his spirit, his anointing. So I found that when I'm down, one of the best things I can do is help somebody get back up. Point number two, 
When you're down, pick someone else up. When you're down, pick up someone else. You want to get rid of your depression? You want to get rid of your, 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 your irritability or whatever it may be that you're dealing with and, and your unhappiness? Try helping someone else that has it worse than you do or try helping someone else that's in the same circumstance that you're in. You want somebody to meet your needs? Yes, God will meet your needs. But I have found there is a secret. There is a secret to happiness. It's when you truly try to make, not, 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 don't misunderstand me here. I'm going to say make other people happy, but not by compromising, not by succumbing to their own will. They're pressing their will into your life, but by simply bringing them peace, joy, love, encouragement. You all have the ability. We all have the ability to step out into a world that's dark with the light that God's given us and say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You don't have to be a theologian to say, hey, you're going to make it. God's going to help you. I'm praying for you. And when you start focusing on other people more than you do yourself, does that sound hard? Is that harsh? When we start focusing on people more than we do ourselves, you're going to feel a change and a shift and something different. I don't do everything just to be seen. I don't want to, my, that's my reward. If you're seen, someone sees you do it, there's your reward. You got it. You were noticed. Congratulations. I was taught growing up whenever I was working out in the field uh, as a INE technician, Elmo, that if I were ever walking around the plant, always have a screwdriver in your hand and look worried. I've talked about this before. I got to tell you, I was good at that. Oh, I was good at having a screwdriver in my hand, looking where I got to do it. boss man told me, don't ever just stand around, son. So I get a screwdriver, put it in my back pocket all there all the time when the boss comes around. <laughs> I'd screw something that didn't need screwing. <laughs> Good at it. Got raises all the time. But God knows the difference. God knows when you're really busy. God knows when you're really active. God knows when you're playing church. God knows when you're playing church. God knows when you're acting churchy. God knows. Oh, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Let's get out of here, man. I can't stand her. People are so fake. Oh, hi. How you doing today? I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. How you doing? How you doing? Look, God, I don't know why I come up with this Latino accent every time I try to come up with the, with the, with the character. It's just in me. I can't help it. 
God knows when you and I aren't really sincere. God knows when we do something just to be seen. And what you do in secret, the Lord rewards you openly. Openly. And you don't have to tell anybody you're praying for them, quite honestly. You know, I know I have three pastors in my life. I don't just uh, come out here. We just didn't pitch a tent and a revival tent, start having revival, start doing all these things because uh, we just wanted to. We, have, we believe in accountability. I believe that everybody should have a pastor, even pastors. Pastors need pastors. Everyone needs to be accountable. I believe every single person, whether you're a pastor or not, you should have an upline, a sideline, and a downline. You should have someone that's pouring into you, someone that you're pouring into, and other people beside you that are on the same journey. Full accountability. I believe it's very healthy. But I don't have to tell my pastors all the time that I pray for them. I do share with them when I feel I need to encourage them. But I know that when I meet them and get together with them, they can feel something coming out of my spirit because I have prayed for them. That's how I maintain good relationships. You can pick up the spirit on people, whether they've been talking about you, gossiping or whatever. I recognized that years ago. And I said to myself, I don't want to ever be that person. But I'm going to pray for them. And when they get around me, they're going to feel a different spirit. They're going to feel love. They're going to feel encouragement. When they get around me they're spiritually, I'm not going to drain them. I want to outpour, I want to pour out into them because I found that a flow in my life makes me healthy. A flow in my life makes me healthy. Oh, you know what? Get out of there, turkey. Let me show you something. This is Google Maps. We're live on Google Maps. This is the Dead Sea. I've used this and said this many times, but I want you to see this. The Dead Sea has no life. It is the greatest, one of the greatest lakes in the world. It's also the lowest point of the earth, but it has so much salt in it. The content of salt is so high. People go to this area for the minerals all around, not to, for fishing. You can't fish there because there are no fish. There are tiny little microorganisms maybe in that, in that lake, in that sea, that are there, but it's nothing that you can see with the natural eye. They're, ma they're microscopic. But there is not one fish, guys, you can get out of that sea and take home to your family. You can go get some salt for the dinner table, maybe. But the salt content is so high that when you go into it, people actually go and they float in that water. They get the, <laughs> they get the mud around there for the minerals and put it all over their bodies for nutri nutritional health. Now, that may have some benefits. But you know that God gave us salt to be salt to the world 
God gave us rivers of life in us, not to be, not to put a camp on. You can't put a camp on a river. Try it. Now, I'm not talking about a dam. I'm talking about in your own life. When you have a flow in your life, the only thing that can camp it out is your lack of faith. But the river coming and flowing through your life was meant to be the abundant part to overflow. And the reason why most people, they are salt. They're so salty, they become statues like Lot's wife. God meant us to be salt, but he also meant us to have a river flowing through us. The combination of the two, it's healthy and it brings life. This isn't the case for the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, if you can see it, there is no outlet here. But over here on this end, there's an inlet. It's called the Jordan River. The Jordan River comes in right here through the in inlet side, but there is no outlet. Right above the Jordan River, there's another sea called the Sea of Galilee. If you look closer, it goes right into this. Go back, sorry. Good thing I'm not your tour guide. We would have all been lost already. <laughs> I just lost the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I like to laugh at myself. <laughs> I just lost the Dead Sea. Oh my gosh, there was Jesus, there you go, Jesus was baptized right there, there we go, okay. <laughs> There's a spa there too in case you wanted to know. <laughs> Let me go back up here, sorry. The reason why it has life in it, here we go. The reason why we have life in the Sea of Galilee is because it's in between rivers and it's a flow. Isn't it amazing? The River Jordan ties in two seas. They're on the same vein. This is like Christianity. We all have the same spirit. You understand what I'm saying? We all have the same spirit, but we all have different outlets, and some don't have any outlets at all. On the Jordan River is the Sea of Galilee. We know the stories of the Sea of Galilee there were fish that were caught in that sea by the disciples, an abundance of fish. They traveled across the sea. They were able to take a boat. You can't do that in the Dead Sea. There's no life. There's no freedom. There's no happiness. That's the life of a Christian that doesn't have flow. It's the Christian believer that all they do is they come to church, they pray for themselves, they worship for themselves. They do everything for themselves, but they never give out. You've got so much salt content, you can still feel dead. Because the moment you start praying for others, the moment you start give, creating an outlet in your life, an outlet, so everyone say outlet, the moment you start to reach out, that's why I'm a, I'm a firm believer, no matter, what, no matter how busy you are, 
it is so important to stay active in your local church. I don't care, just once a month, just once a month, we encourage everyone, volunteer at least once a month, at the least, to stay active in your spirit and put others in front of you so you can let God work through you. And then pray for others. You do not have to be a prayer warrior. The prayer warrior is the Holy Spirit inside of you. He, that's the prayer warrior. I, you know, we use that term very lightly, but I know who does the interceding. It's the Spirit of God. We are vessels. The Spirit and the anointing, the river flows through us. I, I, I'll be quite honest with you. When, you. when you really come down to it, God's allowed the anointing to be in our life, but he's the anointed one. He's the real shepherd. He's the one that really does all the miracles. He's the one that's the prophet. He's the one that's the teacher. He's the pastor. I'm telling you, it's him. It's all in him. It's all about him. But how, he said, he said is there going to be a generation that will allow me to work and do a new thing? Who's going to let me work? Who's going to let me flow? Because if that person ever lets me flow, they're going to have life and life more abundantly. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life. Therefore, he gave instruction, your life is not your own, really. He said, pick up your cross, follow after me if you're going to be my disciple. In other words, put your own ambitions, put your own dreams aside, carry my dreams. I have a bigger dream for you. God says to all of us, I have a bigger vision. I'm a bigger dreamer than you are. There are no limitations in my life for you. There's nothing there. I'm here. If you'll just do my will, I'll open up doors for you that no man could have ever opened up for you. I'll do things in your life that you could have never done on your own. It's all about doing the will of God. That's our food. This is what brings a healthy, healthy spirit, a life. Uh, we own a business, we own businesses, but they're not my businesses. I've only got them connected to the kingdom so we can prosper and do something for God. That's the only reason. Because one of these days we're going to breathe our last breath and nothing's going to matter and nothing else matters. But the people that you have in your life, the ones that you have helped throughout life, and your heavenly Father whom you're going to spend eternity with is going to greet you and say two words, well done. Well done. Well done. This is the secret to staying happy. It's watering other people. When water can flow, it has an outlet. It has a way of working. Another word for outlet is purpose. It has a purpose in your life. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and 4 through 8, he said it. He said, but he needed to go through Samaria. I need to go to Samaria. I need to go to Samaria there. There's something I need there. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being warm, uh, wearied from his journey, he was tired. He was tired, and he was hungry. He sat at the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw the water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. I believe as a soul winner, this was his way of setting her up. I really do. 
I think it was a setup. He could have got his own, but he asked her for it. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Notice that he has a Samaritan, what the Samaritan woman did. She did give him a drink. And that, here's what happens. Then he said, eventually, before he said, hold on a second. If you had known who asked you to give him a drink, you would have given him living water. You would have, you, he would have given you living water. If you had known who asked you for help. You would have asked him for living water. It was a setup. God asked her to help him. Why? Because he wanted to give her living water. Catch this now. This, I'm, come, I'm coming through close. Come on, hurry. God asked us to help him so he can bless us. Where does God need help? How can I help God? Well, in his humanity, he needed water because he was thirsty. He asked her to bless him because he had a bigger blessing for her. And he prophesied to her. And he started pouring out of that river, that well that he had, by gifts, prophecy, knowledge, pouring into her, helping her, giving her direction, letting her know that I found a man who told me all things in my life and come and see this man. And she became an evangelist. She started helping other people by reaching out. And she was, she was down and she was despondent, but then she became alive again. And then she started reaching out to other people. And eventually my, my story in my mind believes that she was a recipient of the Spirit of God. That's just the way I concede that in my mind. Concede that. But this is what Jesus does. How can we help God now? Did you know God needs help? You know God wants you to help Him? How? By reaching out to other people that are thirsty. And he's asking you to give them a drink. But here's the whole purpose. The reason why God asks you is because there's an operation in the kingdom called the law of harvest. Whatever a man sows or a woman sows, that shall they also reap. So I need to be a blessing because I need his blessings. I need to pour out of my life because I need a flow in my life for life. He asked me to do something so my life can be blessed because I need his blessings. Anytime God asks you to help him in an area or deals with you to give, to serve, it's because God really wants to bless you. And it seems like you're the one giving out. Never complain because you're giving out and no one's giving back to you. I promise you, you cannot outgive God. And God sees your labor. And your labor is not in vain. And God is not a man that he should lie. And God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. 
God will bring his promises to pass, and God will never let you down. You just have to keep giving. You have to keep serving. You have to keep letting the river flow and stop worrying about the outcome because you can't see it right now, but there's a life being produced inside of you, an abundant life, and it's a process. And the further you go down that road, the more you realize how blessed you are looking back. How blessed you are looking back. Don't ever complain about giving. I love giving. Giving's exciting to me because I remember when I had nothing, and I know that my giving is a sacrifice. I don't ever complain about serving because serving, I feel the anointing in it. I feel encouraged by it. I feel a part of me that becomes alive again. I don't ever complain about helping somebody that's going through what I'm going through because I realize when I start helping them, then my problems seem to go down and shrink and it seems like that it's all taken care of and my faith is lifted up. If you're depressed, call somebody that is depressed and tell them God is faithful. God's peace passes all understanding. Hey, can I pray with you? I am praying with you. Encourage somebody. I'm trying to help you all realize that you were made to be a blessing. You were made to be a blessing. That's the secret to true happiness. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.